You're listening to episode 128 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. Hello, Happy New Year. I am Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. It is indeed the 6th of January 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording, which I think means that 2020 has ended. Thank God for that, really. Although saying that, we're, on, we're in the 6th of January and not much has changed so far. We're still still working from home, still not able to podcast in the same room as each other, are we? No, no. 2021 has started in a very unoriginal manner by being in yet another lockdown. Lockdown number three. But we're yes. keeping it positive, aren't we? We've got lots of lots of stuff happening at work. It was really nice for well for me personally. I really enjoyed getting back into things this week on Monday after a nice Christmas break and just looking at my to do list and thinking, well, we've got so much amazing stuff coming up. There is, and seeing everyone's faces, albeit on Zoom, which is not quite the same, but it's better than nothing. And it's it's nice to see, as you say, there's so much stuff coming up, which is going to be very exciting to reveal over the coming months. Absolutely. So Steph, other than what's coming up, what is happening right now? We have uh, the Escalator campaign is ongoing. Yes. Some people might have come across this on our social media channels and in our newsletter at the end of December. We are currently fundraising for our Escalator Talent Development Programme, which we've been doing for well over 10 years now. It's a fantastic programme which uh, involves selecting 10 writers from the East of England who commit to a year of mentoring and talent development opportunities. Uh, and they're, they're paired up with an established writer who's had some experience of you know, writing and getting published in that process um, for that time. The mentoring scheme always culminates as well in a showcase to agents and publishers so that people can hopefully get their their work out there in the world and we've we've always done very well with it and it's fantastic and we love it very much of course the past few years have been quite difficult for uh, traditional fundraising so this year we've been asking for people's help um, so that we can continue with the program so Escalator normally mentors 10 writers each year as I said at the moment we're only funding six so we'd like to get that number back up to 10 and we need your help to do it If you head over to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and click on the Escalator tab on the homepage, you can read lots more about it and find out how you can help. Even giving a little bit would be fantastic for us. Yeah, we've got podcasts coming up over the next few weeks where we're going to go back and talk to some of the Escalator writers who have been through the scheme both many years ago and uh, just recently to find out how it helped them and what changes it made to the trajectory of their careers. So that's going to be really exciting. One of my favourite things, actually, each year we have some established mentors who are working with these upcoming writers. And I really love it when we have a mentor who was actually a mentee back in the day. So they've they've gone through the whole process of Escalator. They've got their work out there and they're now coming back years later to pass on their knowledge to someone else. That's always really lovely. The circle is now complete. It is. We also still have our creative writing online courses available. Most of them are actually pretty much sold out, aren't they, Steph? So if you want to get in, you need to get in quickly. We still have places available on the script writing course, which is always very popular. And we have a new tutor this term in the form of Femi Coyote, who you may have seen as part of our Noirage Festival last year, where he was talking to a Yinkin Braithwaite. And uh, that's going to be a fantastic course with him at the helm. 
Yes, and we've still got a, a very small number of places left on our introduction to the memoir course, which is being led by Monique Roffey, who just won the Costa Novel Award. Congratulations to Monique. We've also got a few places left on poetry level one and level two. So we've got a 12-week and a more advanced 24-week course. Yeah, and we always have really lovely feedback from writers who go through these courses and dedicate a few months to really focusing in on their writing. And I think it does help people kind of get up to the the next level of whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Mm, yeah. And these courses are all starting on Monday, the 25th of January. So really good timing if you happen to be, you know, maybe in a lockdown situation and there's not much else to do from home. You can really take the time to concentrate on your writing in this new year. Yeah. As the name suggests, these all take place online. So you can study it from home from anywhere in the world. So very easy to get involved with. Right. So on the podcast today, we have a lovely chat between Sarah Bauer and Abby Dari. Abby is the author of The Girl with a Louding Voice, which was shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize last year and has been a hugely successful debut for Abby. And Sarah was talking to her last year about world building and Abby's particular approach to it and how she's used the narrative voice in the book to explore the world and present it to the readers. You might have already seen this on our YouTube channel, but this is the first time you've had it on the podcast. So it's great. It means you can do your housework, have a do a bit of cooking or just carry on with work from home whilst listening to Abby's conversation. Exactly. Just absorb amazing writing techniques while getting on with your everyday life. Multitasking at its finest. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Bauer, and I have the immense good fortune today to be chatting to Abby Dare, author of the best-selling Girl with the Louding Voice, um, about how, as authors, we create a sense of place. So, Abby, welcome, and thank you for uh, thank you for spending some time with us. I enjoyed the book enormously, and of the many things that struck me about it. One was that you don't do the obvious in the way you create a sense of place. And, 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 and this book takes place, a lot of it, in, in, in rural Nigeria. And you manage to convey a real sense of the book's world through the voice, through the narrating voice of your lovely heroine, who's a very powerful, sassy character, proto-feminist sort of character. Just wondered how, how that voice came to be and what you kind of intended for it and whether using it to create place was something you planned or whether it was just one of those lovely things that happened. Thank you for that question and thank you for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> to be doing this. My pleasure. <laughs> so I think with creating Adonis' voice, it came from my need to try to prove a point and that sounds a little bit you know funny but but then I was doing a creative writing master's degree um, course and I had to hand in my dissertation now but before then I was regularly submitting short stories and one feedback that always came through with my short stories was Abby you are not great at characterization like we don't get a sense for your characters and I took that on Maybe, maybe a little bit too too much when I took it on board because I was like, I'm going to show you guys that I can create a character. Um, but then when I came to write The Girl with the Louding Voice, I knew that I wanted to tell a story from the point of view of a girl who had been denied an education 
who was very intelligent um, and who sort of navigated the world in her own way. And I felt that the only way I could do that was to divorce myself from the character itself because everything I'd been writing was, I was very involved in them, but I felt that if I could create a separate entity through myself, that I could do that. And so the voice came from, you know, the girls that I knew growing up that were maids in Nigeria, many of them had their own way of navigating English language because they came from different parts of the country and even outside the country and they would create words. So I had that, but I also had my two-year-old daughter who was learning to speak English and who had, I think she'd been to Nigeria when she was about a year old, had no idea of anything, but she, I found it quite fascinating that at two, she was inventing things. And this was a girl that had lived in an English speaking world most of her her life, her two years on earth at that time, but still she was doing things her own way. So I thought this is how people um, speak and, and understand a world around them when it's new to them. They create things in their own way. So I, I had that. And then I then had the fact that I speak a second language. So my mother tongue is Yoruba. And one thing that's quite common with many languages, and in, certainly for me, was the fact that when you literally translate um, Yoruba into English, it twists the words, but it still makes sense. I'll give you an example. When you say my head, I've got a headache in Yoruba, you literally translate that to mean my head is breaking apart. And so I, it was a combination of all those things <laughs> that came together for me to create Adonis voice. And so, so yeah, I was trying to create a character that would stick and I wanted her to be unique and I wanted her to reflect the girls that I knew growing up. So I came up with a combination of different things. Um, and there we are. Well, I think, I think, I mean, you, you achieved in, in massively making her a strong character who sticks. Um, and when I was reading the book, um, I really felt that she, that she spoke directly to the reader and that the way she interpreted the lives of the other women characters, because one thing you really cleverly do is that, is that all your principal characters are women. And each one of those women... Um, illustrates the costs for women of living in a patriarchy in different ways. Um, you know, it, it, even um, without wishing to sort of um, give things away unduly to people who haven't read the book yet, but even the big madam in the end we feel sympathetic towards when we see what's made her behave as monstrously as she sometimes does. Um, and I think, again, the way in which Adoni looks at these women and interprets them, you know, everybody from, from um, her friends in the village, herself, obviously, and the people she meets when she moves to Lagos, um, that also helps to create a very strong sense of what it's like to be a woman living in, in, a, in a very dominant patriarchy. Um, and at the same time, makes us who think we aren't examine ourselves mm. and the world we live in. Mm. And again, I think you do that really cleverly because in no way do you tell us or hit us over the head with it. But it all comes through her beautiful observations that she makes. And, and, and I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, thank you. I think that, it, again, like I said, so having Ajuni do those things, I guess if I had written in standard English or maybe third person, there might have been a little bit of telling, a bit of, you know, I understand these things and I see them. But having it come from the point of view of someone who's 
supposedly naive. She's naive. She's she's innocent, but she's sharp. And so she acutely observes yeah. things and she sees them as they are. She's quite blunt. And that puts her in trouble sometimes. But I, I guess what's important for me for Aduni not just to see um, the fact that she getting an education would mean her becoming free from patriarchy. And so that's why I created those women around her. I wanted her to have a glimpse into the future and understand that, look, you want to have an education, but look, your fight doesn't stop at getting an education. You still need to keep using your voice. And you can see women around you who are educated and well and wealthy who are still oppressed in various ways. And so, you know, I just wanted to show that by having Aduni have that kind of, you know, opportunity. But I was having fun as well with that character, with Aduni. So I, I enjoyed her sort of describing people as football head and just, <laughs> just and I, I, I guess because of how she is as, as a person, she would have done that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe people that way. <laughs> so I think it was just, you know, just trying to show the fun side of her, but at the same time trying to pass a message across to say, look, it's not just about getting an education. There's a lot more that needs to happen here. And Aduni is seeing these things and, and reflecting that in the story. And, and she does see things with no nonsense. I mean, I was glancing through the book preparatory to talking to you. Um, and I was very amused when she is eavesdropping on the, um, the party that uh, Big Madam holds for her, her women in the neighbourhood. And they're talking about fashion and shoes and things like that. Um, and somebody mentions the Louboutin red-soled shoes, describes them as red bottoms. And Adoni immediately says, why would anybody want to wear a red bottom on their feet? <laughs> and she shows you the absurdity of, of, of that in this, in, in this very sort of um, humorous and insightful way. That gives us a very strong sense of what her world values are. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she's a really wonderful character. Um, obviously, as I say, I, I think that the, the, the great achievement of the book is, is the voice and what the voice does um, and how much it does, actually. Um, but I wonder how you, how you went about creating the world of Adonis Nigeria, knowing that perhaps your target readership were very much going to be people who don't know that world. Um, and I, I wonder what was, you know, how, how, how much that was in your mind as you were writing. I think that having um, the idea that I was creating, I think it was easier having Aduni come into the world for the very first time. And, and especially leaving the rural, rural area and coming to Lagos. It was nice and easy for me in a way because I could use the freshness, her, her freshness um, to this, to the situation, to the environment, her own humor to sort of describe that. But, you know, when I was writing the story, I didn't expect it to be a book that you'd be reading and talking to me about. I just thought I was going to get through my dissertation and get my master's degree. <laughs> so I had a bit of a panic after, you know, we went through the MA and I realized it was going to be published. I was like, is anyone going to get what I'm trying to say? But I think it was important for me to tell her story. And if the audience was just my, my supervisor, because he had already seen it and he said he loved it, I felt, okay, he would get it. Um, and I guess that's, you know, talking about what you said about voice, when I was creating Aduni's voice, you know, there's, there's a way we speak, um, Africans speak, which is called Pigeon English, which I could have used. And it's, you know, it's quite standard. But I felt that when you read that, I felt that it would give a reader a jarring experience. Like you'd have to pause a lot of time to try and understand what she was saying. So it was important for me to have her tell a story 
that would hopefully hook the reader from maybe the second or third page, as opposed to having the reader stop every so often to say, I'm just kind of lost. Um, and so I think trying to create her voice and make it something that will be easily digested um, by reader wasn't very easy. Uh, but I think I tried to achieve that by ensuring that I let her have some obstacles and I was very careful in trying to still be close to English language, but let it still have a lot of her own voice in it. And I don't know how I can explain that, uh, but I was very keen to ensure that I could enjoy it. So I read The Color Purple and I really enjoyed it. I knew how the character was speaking, but at the same time, I had, there was no point at the reading of that book that I thought I'm completely lost. And I've read other books like that where you feel that, oh my gosh, the, the dialect is so strong, but you, you kind of lose your, 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 you know, you lose your, your desire for the character to reach her goals. And I didn't want that to happen. And so having to do that was quite, it was quite interesting, but I had no concern initially when I was doing this because I thought, you know, it's going to be my supervisor. He's already read it. Yeah, we'll get through it. But then after I got through to the end, I knew it was going to be published. I had that fear of, gosh, people might not really get what I'm trying to say. I thought if I could get it, then I guess other people could, could do that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that, that, uh, obviously the, the way the book's been received shows that most people have <laughs> grasped what you were trying to do. Um, I wonder um, if we, I, I, I don't want to jinx anything, so please don't talk about it if you don't want to, but if you are now thinking about what you might write next, and whether you will continue with this kind of um, world creation through voice or whether you might think about writing in more uh, conventional English and in which case, how would you go about creating a fictional world in, in, in that way? I, yes, I think it's, it's quite, I'm trying to do something um, and trying to play around with my options. And it's been incredibly difficult at first, especially trying to, I couldn't, write in first person for a very long time hmm. because I kept on slipping back into Adunis voice and I need to remember that the reason Adunis reason for being is because of her background and where she has come from and what she's been inspired by and so I wouldn't be able to write in her voice for a character who's well-educated well-traveled and I find it quite limiting actually writing in Adunis voice was very freeing for me um, and it's interesting because I thought it would be very tough to do. But once I got into a cadence, I think by the f after the first 3,000 words, I was sort of dancing along and just loving discovering things, you know. But now that I'm trying to do it like, you know, like we said, I'm trying to do it again. Um, but I couldn't do it. I could not do it in first person. So I've found that it's easier for me to write in third person and have a character that is just like me and just, you know, would not look at things in awe. Um, you know, and just, it just be, and I find it not as... It's not as juicy, it, I, you know, I, I, feel, I really miss what I know that I can't con continue to write in Adunis voice. So I get to just be like, you know, I just have to carry on as usual and just um, focus on ensuring that my writing is strong enough in standard, you know, conventional English and that the plot carries it through. I need to work a, a lot harder, I think. And it's interesting because I never thought that way. With Adunis, it was a lot easier to have, to just enjoy the process. Now I'm really thinking about what I'm doing. Yeah, one finds eventually that it's not a not an easy not an easy job, um, and I think that the, the the world building in fiction one of the challenges is to avoid 
you know, that process of kind of starting every chapter with a set piece description or um, having characters who kind of describe the world for the reader. So the fourth wall comes down. There are lots of challenges there, aren't there, that one has to address in, 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 in world building. And with, with Goro Laden voice, I could do that. There was a lot of freedom to do that because she was coming in new to many things and, you know, she was talking about experiences. But then trying to do that with another story, it doesn't sort of fit um, the narrative. You know, you just be a character getting up and doing things. But uh, getting into that position for me was really hard because I went through a period of mourning, uh, mourning for Adjani, um, grieving over her and then trying to get myself out of that process and thinking about other characters that I could care about. Enough, but it's not been easy yet. Like you said, you know, and, and, and I'm having to look at other writers and saying, how have they done it? <laughs> how, have they, how are they doing this? And seeing if I can do the same again. Do you find, because you've mentioned that a couple of times, do you find reading writers who you believe will inform the kind of thing you're wanting to do, do you find that useful when you're writing? Or do you have times when it can put you off because you can think, oh, you know, I can't do it because they've done it better or somebody's style will be too close to what you're trying to do and it'll start to clutter up your own thinking. I find it tremendously helpful. I am the writer that if I read, if I'm writing in first person and I read a book in third person, if I go back to pick up my manuscript, I would write in third person. That's how, that, it's crazy, but I don't understand why, but that's what happens to me. And, and, and so I, what I tend to do is I try not to read books that are similar, similar in theme to my story so that I'm not very influenced by the plot as such. Yeah. But in terms of style, so if it's third person past where, um, I don't know, I'm currently reading Atonement by my Ian McEwen and I'm oh, yeah. loving how he's just, you know, how he's been able to create a, a, a story of a day and have that span chapters of, I, I couldn't imagine so things like that I'll read to learn, you know, as opposed to reading about, yeah, the story is amazing, but I'm really learning to see how have you been able to create a character who starts in the morning and chapter five, they're just by midday. I can't do that. Um, but I'm learning. So I, I tend to read like that. Um, but if I want to read for pleasure, I would not be writing anything. I'm just going to chill and then read for pleasure and absorb because I tend to, to subconsciously pick up habits. And so because of that, I try to stay away from books that I, well, I mean, I don't say badly written books, but books that I feel that would not help my writing. I try not to read them when I'm in the process of writing a new story. Okay. Yes, I get that. It is rather easy to start to ventriloquize somebody else if you're not Absolutely. careful, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think maybe um, possibly one final question, Abby, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But are you a great researcher? I think I am. I, I studied law uh, for my first degree, and I think maybe from there came the love for research. I research everything, like even down to trying to buy, trying to repair the sealants in the bathroom. And I've spent God knows how long just trying to find the right sealant and I'm reading reviews and I'm on Amazon and my husband's like, can you just click buy and just get everything? (laughs) (laughs) I love research. Um, You know, right now I'm trying to work on something and I'm, I'm just loving the process of researching. But I think what I don't do well is researching in the sense of speaking to people and saying, hi, I'm writing about this. Can you tell me your experiences? I find that, and I think it's just me. I just find it very, I don't know, how would they feel me going to them to say I'm writing about this? 
Um, but in terms of research, in terms of reading stuff, you know, pouring through his history, reading books, watching videos, all of that, I bring it on. I'm, I'm there. So I'm trying to learn how to be more. Like I was thinking the other day that I wanted to speak to a professor on, on a particular topic. And I was thinking, am I really going to write to him to say how I'm writing? How would you do this? I was looking for templates to see, you know, how does another reach out to, to ask questions on, on research? So I'm learning on that because obviously this is new, all new to me. Um, and it's a very eye-opening process to get used to. I think it is, although obviously um, quite a few fiction writers do come to fiction from journalism, and they clearly learnt this business of asking, uh, reaching out and asking people questions, but it often strikes me that writers are by nature solitary, yeah. and, and it therefore becomes actually quite a challenge to reach out to somebody as opposed to a book and start to ask them questions. Absolutely. So I find that, okay, I'll just go on YouTube and type, you know, Professor Plus, let's say I'm researching, I don't know, medical history in the 1980s or something. I'd rather do that than to find one professor and say, hi, my name is Abby. And I'm, I just don't know how to do it. And I'm, I need to learn how to, like, it's totally what you said. I feel more comfortable in my own home behind this, behind my camera or behind a book and just making notes. But then yeah. nothing beats speaking to people who've lived the experiences and and have something tangible to tell you so we'll see i mean i think if we tie this back into world building i i, I think you're right because there's also the way in which somebody will articulate a lived experience and it's a bit messier and a bit more lively and imaginative than when you read about that experience in a book where somebody sorted all the ideas out and put them into some sort of order um, so I think it's I think you're right I think it is something that that, that um, there is no substitute for if one can bring oneself to do it and, and actually on what you said when I was researching the girl with the louding voice I really enjoyed watching videos of non-Nigerians visiting Nigeria, Lagos, and the villages for the first time. Okay. And then going, oh, look, it's a chicken. Oh my gosh, look, you know, I love to see, you know, seeing that as people who are coming to this brand new, adults coming to this brand new. I borrowed a lot from those experiences. They're just, they're, they're just um, the way they sort of expressed um, their interest and intrigue about the country. I pulled some of that into the girl with the louding voice um, mm. because like I said, I didn't want to talk about it as if it was me that all my life so yeah totally what you're saying just seeing people talk about something um yeah, it brings a completely different light do you this is a slightly cheeky one we don't have to put it in the recording necessarily but do you get a lot of people who assume that Adoni's life is yours oh my gosh I had something <laughs> very I could not believe it happened to me so I had somebody reach out to me to ask to um to speak about something and uh, this person had put in the bio exactly what happened to Adoni. So Abby was born in Nigeria in a village, lost her mother at this age, got married as a third wife. And I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. So, you know, if you see people, you know, you see people make those assumptions. I, you know, I've heard people say that they're surprised I speak English. <laughs> well, so yes, you do get that. But I, you know, I, you know, I, sometimes I explain, sometimes I'm just like, you know, for instance, in the bio situation, you could have just done a bit of research to find out or chat with me on my bio. But yes, you do get that, um, that people think it's my story. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. There's a, there's a, there is a great blurring of boundaries between the author and the work in the modern age for whatever reason, I don't know. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> 
Abby, that's been a lovely, all too short conversation. Um, I could keep us going for ages, but I'm aware that you've had a busy day and, you know, everybody's on sort of tight timescales. Um, is there anything you'd like to add about your kind of world building process before we finish? Um, no, not really. Maybe I could add the fact that I had a glossary at the when I was writing the book. So I had a glossary for, I do need commonly used words so that yeah. I would be forget them and and then as I created the character and got to the end and then because her English improved sort of I think the last four chapters or so I finished the entire book in in, in her English and then I went back into sort of the chapters I sort of had a mark in my manuscript and I said English starts to improve from here and then it was really a case of manipulating every single word ever so slightly so that it would not be a jarring experience. I wanted it to be organic. So changing that to show that, okay, she is getting better, but she's still yeah. not quite there yet. Um, you do that very well, actually. I, I, I thought that was one of the, the um, very skillful parts of the writing. Yeah. And again, it's a way in which you don't have to tell us anything. You show us yeah. how she's changing through, through her, the, the way she speaks. Yeah. So that was great. I enjoyed that. <laughs> but that's it, really. Thank you very much. That was lovely. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Um, I'll tell you how much I enjoyed the book. I think it's fantastic. Thanks for listening and thanks to Sarah and Abby for the fantastic conversation. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us about anything to do with your writing or any events that we're putting on, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. Check out our Facebook page and sign up to our weekly newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.